The following is a guest devotional by the Rev. Mike Brown at Westminster Seminary, California. The statements, views, and opinions presented in this audio are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect and are not endorsed by the opinions of Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, California, please visit us online at www.wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. That's online at www.wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning. If you turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 17 and that hopefully familiar text to most of us of water being drawn from the rock. This is right where we're at in our Sunday morning services at at Christ URC as we're going through Exodus in an expository fashion. Uh, We're right at chapter 17 here. So I'll just read the first seven verses. Let's hear God's word. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb. And you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? So far the reading of God's holy word. Well, I want you to think about this fascinating scene from redemptive history in our short time here together. And there's three things that I'll uh, draw your attention to, uh, two mainly, and if we have time, the, the third. But three things for us to think about as we, too, are weary and thirsty pilgrims in a land that is often dry and without water. I want you to notice the lawsuit in this scene, the verdict, and if we have time, the warning. In the first place, notice the lawsuit. We see what's happening here is that the Lord brings the children of Israel to this place called Rephidim, uh, which was supposed to be a resting place. It was their last stop before going to Mount Sinai. And it turns out to be a, a place of complete disappointment. There's no water there for them to drink. And once again, if you know the story of Exodus up to this point, they begin to quarrel, they begin to grumble. Actually, the word used here in Hebrew is a, a more severe word that's been used than, than used previously. They're quarreling with the, with the Lord. They're quarreling with Moses. Rather than just grumbling and complaining, what they're actually doing at this point is bringing filed charges against the Lord. They're, they're accusing him, ultimately, of attempted murder. They're saying, why did you bring us out to this waterless desert? 
Why have you brought us out to this place where you haven't protected us? You haven't provided for us. You haven't been here with us. Is the Lord among us or not? And the whole scene here is one of a, a trial scene. In fact, the, the names here, Masa, it means trial, and Meribah, it really carries the idea of a lawsuit, uh, an argument in a court of law. And they're prepared to cast all the blame that they were bringing against the Lord on Moses, the Lord's representative. When Moses says that, Lord, these people, they're about ready to stone me, he's not just making a a metaphor. He, He means they're really going to do it. They're going to bring him out in that ancient way and cast blame on him and, as a community, execute a death penalty and throw rocks at him until he's dead. He says, what am I to do? And what's so ironic, of course, about this scene is that the people don't seem to realize that they are the ones actually on trial. The Lord has brought them once again to a place where their faith is being tested. The Lord brought them to Rephidim purposely to test their faith again, and yet Israel doesn't seem to catch on. Israel seems to suffer once again from this terrible sense of spiritual amnesia. They seem to have forgotten that the Lord just brought them out of 400 years of slavery, just redeemed them from the tyranny of Pharaoh through mighty acts and wonders, parted the Red Sea in that great water ordeal in which he vindicated Israel and judged Pharaoh. They seem to forget this. They seem to have already forgotten that the Lord has provided for them water in the desert, provided for them manna, quail. Their attitude is, what has he done for me lately? We need water now, and we want to put him on trial. And they seem to be dissatisfied with the Lord because their lives are filled with complications. Now certainly we know what it's like to be overwhelmed with complications and difficulties in life. Whether it's our health, our finances, our relationships, our responsibilities, or a combination of some or all of those things, most of us are familiar with that awful feeling being at the end of our wits and the end of our rope. And some of us are more familiar with letdown and difficulty than others, but all of us in the various stages of our lives, in the various places where the Lord brings us in this wilderness era, we are familiar with feeling frustrated, familiar with coming to places like Rephidim that seem to be full of promise, full of refreshment, and turn out to be a total trial. And in those times of difficulty, we have known what it's like to instead go to the Lord and and pray to him as he invites us and commands us, asking him to give us grace to persevere in the trial, asking him to give us grace so that we might submit to his will. Instead, what do we do? We often want to put the Lord on trial. We seem to be so overwhelmed by the fact that that our life is confused. We can't understand why it's so abnormal. Why can't we just have a normal life? And we begin to resent God for the life he's given us. And like Israel, we begin to ask the question, is the Lord among us or not? The implication being that if he were among us, well, then life would be a little more normal. Life would be a little more tolerable. There's a great scene in the movie Tombstone in which Wyatt Earp 
goes to his friend Doc Holliday while he's on his deathbed. And talking to him there, Doc begins to tell Wyatt how he was in love once and he really loved this woman, but she ended up joining a convent and he says, she was all I ever wanted. What did you want, Wyatt? Wyatt, filled with cynicism after a lifetime of letdown and heartbreak and difficulty, says, just to have a normal life. And Doc says, there is no normal life, Wyatt. There's just life. And it's a great scene in a movie with which most people can identify, whether they are believers or non-believers, because we know that there is no such thing as a normal life, free from complications. There's just life. It's messiness with ups and downs. And yet somehow, in some way, Christians often are the ones guilty of having this tendency to think that our lives in this fallen world should be protected from complications. Like Israel, when we're brought to a Rephidim, we find ourselves saying, is the Lord among us or not? And we want to rebel against the Lord. We want to bring God up on charges. We want to disbelieve his promises. Well, that's the trial. Now notice what happens here. There's a verdict. In verse 5, the Lord tells Moses some very important things. I want to draw your attention there to verse 5. He says, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel. Now what's going on here? Well, he's setting up a courtroom. He's convening a jury. Elders are the ones who are supposed to pass judgment on disputed matters. And then he says, take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Why the staff? Well, the staff was, remember, given to Moses when Moses was called to be the Lord's representative. The staff was this rod, this instrument that the Lord commanded Moses to strike the Nile with and it turned to blood. And it it was a symbol of God's judgment upon the nations. His symbol of his judgment upon wickedness and upon evil. It was a symbol of justice. It was that same instrument that he raised over the Red Sea in which it parted. And we see over and over again in the Old Testament imagery of the Lord's rod or staff speaking of his justice, of his judgment. In Psalm 2, speaking of the Lord returning to take the nations as his heritage, the ends of the earth as his possession, breaking them with a rod of iron. Or in Isaiah 30, the prophet foretelling of God's judgment falling on the wicked nations, how there would be this time when he strikes the nations with his rod and his justice comes with every stroke of his staff. The rod was a symbol of God's judgment. So Moses goes in front of the people with the elders, carrying the rod, not as an accused criminal, but as Israel's judge. But then notice what else the Lord says. He says, Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb. And that's what makes this scene so incredible, so amazing. He tells Moses to strike the rock. You see, there's far more going on here than the Lord saying, take your magic wand and go make water appear. Oh, isn't that wonderful? God made water appear once again. No, there's much more. This is a trial. There are elders, there are witnesses. The Lord sends his judge to take his rod to lift it up now. And he says, I will stand there 
on the rock at Horeb and you strike the rock. The Lord stands where the accused is supposed to be. The Lord stands. He takes the place of the criminal, even though he has done no wrong. Even though he has broken no covenant, the Lord takes the blame, even though the people are guilty. And that's why the Apostle Paul in in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 4 says that Christ was the rock. He's not just being fanciful and pulling something out of thin air, something we should never do. He's using proper hermeneutics. And he says the rock was Christ. Because Moses can't take his rod and strike the Shekinah glory of the Lord, but he strikes the rock and Christ stood there. And from that rock came water. And you see, this points very vividly to Christ's work on Calvary. Christ was stricken, smitten, and afflicted with the blows of God's justice. He was beaten with the rod of God's wrath against sin. And yet he had no sins or crimes of his own for which to be punished. Instead, he stood as the one accused for our crimes. He was stricken for you and for me so that you and I would never have to come under the blows of God's rod of wrath and justice. The blow has already been given. Justice has been satisfied, and we are forgiven. That is the verdict for all who believe. And from Christ, the rock, came water. Water that still refreshes our souls. Water that still causes us to carry on as pilgrims in a dry and dusty land where it feels as though there is often no water. That is why Jesus said things like he did in John 7. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. It's a glorious, magnificent verdict. Justice satisfied, guilt removed, and reconciliation to God made, and eternal blessing and refreshment, an endless supply given. Well, that's the verdict. Since we have a little bit of time, let's think about the warning. We don't have time to read it, but you might think about doing it later today. But read 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. And read Hebrews chapter 3 and 4. And there, notice how the writer to the Hebrews, he takes Psalm 95, which spoke about this incident at Massa and Meribah. And applies it to new covenant people, to Christians. And says, don't be like that. There's a warning. The verdict has been given, but we must believe that verdict. Because you see there, those Christians that the writer of the Hebrews was writing to, those were people who were much like the Israelites. They were Christians who had professed their faith, the covenant people of God being brought through a wilderness era like you and me, and yet feeling the afflictions of this world, persecution, difficulty. They're ready to abandon the faith. They're ready to walk away. And the warning comes, hear the voice of the Lord today. Believe and look to Christ again, Christ the rock, and drink to your fill. 
Don't put God to the test. Do not harden your hearts by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin. Instead, drink from him who says to you, even as he said to the woman at the well in Samaria, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty forever. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, do you have that water? Do you drink from Christ regularly? Do you take in from him? Let me exhort you today to receive from him again and again and again as he comes to you in the preaching of his word to nourish your soul and refresh you. I know, having been in seminary myself uh, and doing the MDiv for four years, that it was the most incredible paradox of being the most spiritually enriching time of my life, and yet also a very dry period of my life, a rephidim of sorts, in which I learned more than I ever could. And I look back on it with the fondest of memories and with such gratitude, and yet entering into such periods of spiritual dryness and difficulty. Christian, let me encourage you to look to Christ, your rock, as you travel through this wilderness. Look to him standing in your place with all your sins laid upon him, bearing the curse and the rod of God's justice for you. He is the proof of God's promises to you. He is the proof that God has not left you nor forsaken you. He is the proof that though God may seem far off, he has never left you, and he will be with you to the end of the age. You may be in a Rephidim right now. You may be in a particular stage in your life that's very difficult, very dry. But refreshment comes not from demanding that the Lord give us our felt needs, that he give us everything on our shopping list. Refreshment comes not from rebelling against the Lord and accusing him of leading us into a waterless desert and a life of hardship. Refreshment comes from Christ, our rock. And he says to you today, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. He was stricken for you and he stands with open arms to you today and every day and says, come, drink, find refreshment from me in my word as I will give it to you. I have not left you orphans. I've given you my spirit. Now drink from me in my word. May God give us grace to go to Christ, our rock, every day and particularly on the Lord's day as he comes to us in the corporate setting to refresh our souls. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for Christ, our rock, the one who stood in the prisoner's docket, the one who stood as the accused and took the blow of your wrath. We thank you that because he took that blow, we shall never have to face it. And Lord, we pray that as we go through this wilderness age with its difficulties, with its dry spells, with its hardships, Lord, that we would recognize that you are not the one to be put on trial. But the trial has already been done. The verdict has come in. And you have counted us 
as those who are righteous in your sight, acquitting us of our crimes and satisfying your justice by virtue of Jesus Christ, your Son. Give us grace, O Lord, we pray, as we run our race to look to him, the author and finisher of our faith, and in whose name we pray. Amen. Copyright 2008, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way, and you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this broadcast on our website is preferred.